guitarist Mike Bryan. I've been working with Mike for many years. He worked with Hands Up for Trad and the BBC Radio Scotland Young Traditional Musician Award. But probably more importantly, Mike was the guitarist at my wedding <laughs> 19 years ago, possibly. Wow. And he hasn't changed one bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, how many years have you been playing guitar? Gosh, now, I think, when did I... I kind of caught the bug for guitar when I would have been uh, 11 or 12. So, uh, 25, 26 years now. That's quite scary. Was there music in your house? Yeah, yeah, I was probably, I was lucky in in uh, in terms of that. Where I grew up in Strathcanyard, just north of Ullapool, um, was in a, a little crofting hamlet in a valley surrounded by hills and mountains. So there was no TV reception. Um, and we were, yeah, very much in the country. The nearest neighbours were like a mile away. So... There was a lot of music in the house. My folks were always playing tapes and records. Um, plus, my mum was the high school music teacher in Ullapool. So we were very much encouraged to get into music from a very young age. Uh, classical violin was actually what I started on, and piano when I was eight. Um, so that lasted up until about the age of 11, 12. Because that entailed uh, getting in the car with my mum every Saturday to go to Inverness for violin lessons. Um, and, you know, as a, a young young boy, once I got to like 10 or 11, all my mates are spending their Saturdays playing football and chasing girls around. And I'm sat in the car with my mum for four hours and playing violin for two. I was like, mm -mm -mm -mm. and then round about that time I heard maybe, uh, you know... kind of like yeah that sounds cool <laughs> that sounds like fun <laughs> so um so i kind of sacked the classical violin and uh, and picked up a guitar and that was kind of me i never uh, yeah never looked back and who was your first teacher my first teacher um i never had there was no one in Ullapool that i could go to for lessons regularly um but i used to go to face ross every October for a week and there I had um, two fantastic teachers uh, Jim Hunter um, and Terry Small both uh, fantastic guitarists uh, excellent teachers and uh, you know fairly extrovert characters in their own right um, so I would get one week one week out of the year I would go to the Fish, um, and that was probably even though at the time I was I was into playing Nirvana and Neil Young as well, um, definitely playing like electric guitar music though. Um, but through going to the Fish, um, I was I guess getting exposed to a lot of traditional music there. Um, Did you like it? Uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, wasn't really my thing at the time. I can remember. I remember very distinctly, actually, around about the time I was trying to convince my mum that it would be all right for me to give up, give up classical violin, and she she was trying to shunt me towards maybe playing tunes on the violin, and I was like, or the fiddle, you know. Um, I remember very clearly saying, "Mum, 
they all sound the same. <laughs> just, just diddly, 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 diddly. It all sounds exactly the same. Um, so I'm kind of ashamed to actually. But, but yeah, that's, that's the honest answer. Is uh, Yeah, back in those early days, I was like, oh, this is okay. But um, at the face, Terry Small, the guitar teacher, also did group work. And he had this very kind of zany approach to doing group work at the face, which was just that anyone could join. So you'd have a, a kind of ensemble of like 50 odd people, but no, um, very little reading music, not like a proper formal orchestra or anything. Um, but we would always have a traditional tune of some kind and we would do something really, really cool with it. Um, and so that kind of got me into, yeah, thinking that, Oh, this traditional music stuff's all right. And then when I got to maybe 15, 16, um, I remember actually one Christmas, the folks getting me a CD that was Martin Bennett's first album. And I remember listening to that in my bedroom and just thinking, holy shit, what is this? Like, you know, this is, this is cool. <laughs> So hearing that and then at the, at the same time there's bands like Sugar Nifty and the Pete Bog Fairies um, and they were, they were touring so we'd go and see them playing in village halls and stuff and you know at that age 16, 17 you're just starting to get into going out and partying and all that you know um so that that really i really kind of caught the bug i suppose about then oh that's amazing that's amazing that mark bennett did influence so many people so many including the people fairies yeah 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 what was your first band <laughs> my first band um was called tin hut um imaginatively titled because we used to rehearse uh, every day at school lunchtime in my mother's music room which was a tin hut <laughs> so and that was playing like uh, at, at that point I was kind of um, writing a lot of songs of uh, you know absolutely dripping of teenage angst <laughs> and, uh, and orchestrating them for the lineup was me on like electric guitar and vocals and there was a bass player called Duncan Scott and a drummer called Russell McDonald. Um, but I was very, uh, well, I mentioned earlier that the kind of environment I grew up in, I was out in the country, there was nothing, nothing to do. So I, I didn't really have anything else in my life except my kind of fantasies of uh, rock god. <laughs> Whereas both these lads lived in the town and they had a few other things going on, you know. Um, but yeah, we used to uh, we used to rehearse every day at school playing songs of teenage angst. <laughs> we did uh, we did one gig before the band imploded, uh, <laughs> and and thus began <laughs> thus began a, a theme. <laughs> um, so that that was like that was my first band. Um, then I suppose the next. The next one was when we were maybe 16, 17. 
myself and John Somerville and a lad called Fergus Bruce uh, formed a band called Fire in the Bog. Um, and we used to play just kind of around the... I, I must have just, just passed my driving test because we used to get gigs around just the pubs in kind of Rosher. Um, but, you know, when you're 17 um, and I was, by this point, I'd either sat school or I was about to sat school um, as soon as I got my driving license. And I was working in Safeway stacking shelves, going in at six in the morning, pushing things around and leaving at 8 p.m. at night sometimes, you know. Um, so to be getting, you know, 50 quid cash in your hand for going and playing in a pub when you're not even old enough to really be drinking in the pub, it was like, that was amazing at the time, you know. So that's a fire in the bog. Fire in the bog, yeah, and that kind of, that kind of uh, metamorphosed. That's not that's not kind of the right word, but like something it. like that. <laughs> Metamorphosized um, into there was a whole squad, the lads from Croft Number Five. We used to basically just take on gigs, and John's folks had just bought a camper van as well, so we would like take on a gig in a pub. And whoever was up for having the crack would go along and do it. So it became a kind of ramshackle, jakey collective. We were we became absolutely massive in like Strathcarron, <laughs> pretty big at Applecross as well, you know. <laughs> so when I first met you with uh, Farnabog, uh, it was Adam Sutherland that was in the band. That's right. Yeah. No, I I guess uh, a couple a couple of years on from a couple of years on from where we kind of formed the thing we all ended up down in Glasgow um, and a massive kind of uh, at that point it was just we started the session in the Ben Nevis bar on Wednesday nights and that grew into Wednesday nights and Thursday nights and the boys had a flat just above the Ben um, and it was just I just remember that period of my life as just being like tunes, 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 tunes. Um, I was going through to Edinburgh a lot at the time as well and meeting a lot of musicians. And yeah, at that point, I'd really just caught the bug for playing tunes. I didn't want to do anything else in my life at all, just play tunes all the time. Um, and somehow we must have decided that Fire in the Bog, we were, we were going to, you know, take the band seriously. Um, and so we decided, I think it was me and John and Adam we're going to be firing the bog, um, you know, we were going to be professional so that it wouldn't be a case of sometimes there'd be 10 people who'd turn up to play the gig and <laughs> too wasted to play their instruments <laughs> or anything, you know. Um, but yeah, we um, went in for a Danny Award at Celtic Connections. I'm just having a wee chuckle now actually remembering, remembering the day of the remember in the day of the competition but anyway I'll, I'll not not put that story in the podcast um, but anyway we turned up and uh, yeah won this Danny award and then things kind of took off a wee bit from there um, and yeah I remember getting a call from you asking could we play at your wedding <laughs> being absolutely delighted <laughs> so did you um uh, did you have any other influences at the time any other guitar players that you looked up to um, my favourite guitar player uh, was always Neil Young. <laughs> so when I was getting into trad music, when I was getting into trad music, 
most of the stuff I was listening to um, was kind of, it was more towards the electronica side of trad music. Um, so, whereas what I was playing on the guitar was very much on an acoustic guitar um, and a thing. So, the, the only one that really, no, there's a few actually that jump out. Uh, Dennis Cahill, um, certainly, loved the way he played. Um, Adam, I remember, giving me the Lonesome Touch, uh, Martin Hayes and Dennis Cahill album. I just listened to it every night before I went to sleep, before I drifted off, and that was beautiful guitar playing. Also, Ross Martin, um, you see, just, just a couple of years older than me, but he was already kind of out there doing it. Ross Martin, Ian Carr, um, and Chris Drever. That's the ones that kind of jump out. Yeah, because one thing I think it kind of makes a great folk guitarist or drag guitarist or whatever is, is rhythm. Absolutely, yeah. And what was it and how you actually get that? <sighs> yeah, it's, uh, well, it's, rhythm's fundamental, isn't it? It's the absolute most basic building block of, of anything in music. Um, and for me, yeah, that's always a, a, a big thing. So you went from there, um, was it the Trenches Orchestra after that then? Uh, Box Club came first. Oh, of course. Box yeah. Club came before the Treacherous Orchestra. Um, yeah, after Fire in the Bog kind of imploded. Um, <laughs> and then there was one night we were all up at, there was a squad of us were up at Face Ross teaching um, by this point, which was lovely. It's always... Uh, I always felt very proud to be going back to Fraser Ross as a tutor, uh, having come through it as a as a pupil, you know. Um, and it was always great crack. But I remember there was one night in the Arch Inn in Ullapool, which, incidentally, that was the first that was the first ever Fire in the Bog gig was in the Arch Inn. That was the place I first got paid to play music. So it's always plus it's it's a pub back home where everyone goes to watch the football and everything. It's a good place, um, but I remember being in the Arch Inn with like Gary Ennis, Myrid, John, uh, I don't think Angus Lyon wasn't there, but anyway, they'd come up, you know, we were a good, good few shandies in by this point of the evening, and someone had decided that they were forming a band with four accordions in it, and it was going to be called Box Club, and I was going to be the guitarist, and we were going to get uh, Duncan Lyle and Martin O'Neill in as the rhythm section, I was just like, excellent, <laughs> yeah, that... That would be amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, Box Club Box Club was kind of born out of a maybe a joke that went a little bit too far, you know. But that was a great time. I had a brilliant time in that band. Um, we made, only ever made one album. Um, but we did, uh, we did a, few, a couple of fairly disastrous tours of Scotland, actually, um, involving, like, you know, the, the borrowed van that breaks down constantly and, you know ridiculous bits of scheduling like you know Aberdeen one night the island of egg the next night and then apple cross the night after that it's kind of that kind of farce um but i really enjoyed being in that band i learned an awful lot actually from uh just from working with uh working with everyone but working with angus lyon particularly and duncan lyle um and at that point angus had only just got his grand's house and hadn't turned it into a kind of professional recording operation yet. Um, so we got the luxury of just being able to go to the studio for days at a time without, you know, without a massive 
money bill ticking um, and work on music. So that was a yeah, that was a great fun band to be in. Treacherous probably came around about around about the same time, and that was probably was that kind of born out of the the Glasgow scene as it was. Yes, then. yeah, that was something of a something of a, a bit of a kind of jakey collective, if I could put it. I wouldn't wish to sound disparaging putting it in those terms, but it was kind of. There was a lot of partying. Going on. There was a lot of partying going on, and there was a lot of tunes being played at parties, and just a lot of people around, um, and. Yeah, the scene was really, it was cooking at that time. Um, and there was, you know, a kind of group of us that were just basically partying our asses off the whole time, but playing music the whole time as well. Um, which sounds funny now I'm talking, about, and that's probably a decade after the last time I was referencing. And, you know, it's out of, out of that environment comes great music, doesn't it? Yeah. Because into this fold, I suppose you had Ross Ainsley and Ali Hutting. Yeah. Ali, Ali Hutton. And because uh, they wouldn't really come from any from the background that you did. No, no, very different in the sense of coming through the kind of the pipe band thing with all that all its kind of uh, all that that entails. The kind of I guess the very I don't know much about the pipe band scene, but it's always struck me as being a very uh, kind of regimented approach to music and very kind of competitive maybe more like a more like a sport um but but they had also the influence of Gordon Duncan um I remember remember hearing tales actually of like oh Ross Ainsley and Ali Hutton wait till you see when these guys come to Glasgow and, and they certainly lived up to their reputation you know <laughs> <laughs> and, and great tune writers as well mm. fantastic well that that was the thing with it the Treacherous was of so many, so many great tune writers in the band. Uh, the pair of them, John Somerville, Adam Sutherland, Kevin. Um, I'm sure I'm probably missing some folk out. Yeah. But there was Innes. Uh, but there was a lot of, yeah, a lot of composers. So that, I mean, that was a kind of, that was the kind of uh, sort of pinnacle, I guess, of, you know, everything that was going on at the time mm -hmm. um, that came out of the scene. Yeah, and then what was that record you made with them? That was it was Superfly. Yeah, I see. I, I was only involved for the first demo. Were um, you not on the first album? No. Were you been by then? Were you was, imploded by I then? Was, yeah, I was <laughs> unemployable by then. I'll cut this to No, that's fine. No, you don't have to. It's, it's, not, it's common knowledge. Like, um, No, I was only ever on the first... I was on the first Treacherous Orchestra demo EP which I think was just entitled Treacherous Orchestra and it had on the cover a uh, kind of thing of like Space Invaders oh yeah um, so that was uh, yeah that was as much recording as I ever got done with uh, with that band as I guess as with all bands there's politics and personalities involved but um, you were still there for these amazing get opening Gigs. Yeah, I, I was still there for the the kind of like the first the first two years at Kelton Connections where we sold out the ABC in the first year and then sold out the fruit market the next year 
and then in between that in between those two gigs we'd gone down I think we'd gone down to Cambridge and done like the last you know done the big slot there and everything um so yeah I was uh, yeah I was involved with a lot of the bigger stuff at the start um as to my you know eternal regret that I wasn't involved longer but we could uh, you could probably do an entire podcast series on on that to be honest you know <laughs> most of it would be unpublishable so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a productive time for me. Um, in what I suppose you'd say was my mid mid twenties to my early thirties. Um, because I also started playing with Nula Kennedy, in a kind of professional capacity, um, and that was fantastic. Uh, Nula, Nula kind of took me all over the world, um, for and playing playing some really interesting and kind of quirky music uh, with some great, great people. Um, Donald Hay, Drummy, uh, Nula herself, obviously, uh, fantastic flute player and singer, songwriter. And also Ian McLeod playing the mandolin, which for me was like, again, he was one of my heroes, you know? So I was just like, oh my God, I have to be on stage with Ian. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing that the, these, you know, your whole uh, career goes in the kind of waves and definitely sort of mid twenties. Yeah. And a little bit more, it can be absolutely amazing. Yeah. It doesn't last though. No, no. Um it's funny it's funny you should say that because I remember in some senses I've never yeah I, I I never been particularly good at just appreciating the moment and um I remember I remember one Celtic Connections in my 20s where I had, I must have had a treacherous gig, a box club gig, maybe a gig with Nula, um, I think possibly doing Patsy Reed's New Voices at the same time. And I remember, I remember just being really grumpy. Like, you know, the gigs, the gigs were great, but like any, anything that wasn't, wasn't doing the gig, it was just like, I was like grumpy and tired. I was just like, I was... And I was like looking at the program, going, "Oh, I can't see that gig. I can't see that gig. You know, oh, this is this is shit. <laughs> you know." And it's funny, you know, you look back on those times, you're just like, oh, I do think know. that most moments are viewed in hindsight, though. That's true. Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And who were you? So I mean, that's who were you still listening to? Neil Young, Nirvana. Um. By, no, by 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 that point, I'd probably. Um, probably got into my uh commercial hip-hop phase um so yeah would have been listening to a lot of uh, a lot of dr dre and eminem uh d12 um so a lot of that kind of stuff um what was it you that appealed to you about that um i liked i liked the i've always been big into my lyrics um like from Whenever I first really got into music, I was always, always big into, into words. I suppose as well. I've always been into reading. My father's a writer, so I always, always liked words. And uh, you know, with a lot of, a lot of traditional music, it's, 
tunes based. There are no there are no words, I suppose, you know. Um and so with the hip hop in particular, I just I really liked the the sort of bold directness of a lot of the lyrical content, but also it's kind of sort of political commentary as well. Um you know, the hip hop's sent well, it was always black music in America. Um and yeah, a lot of the kind of political commentary and the directness of the lyrics. Yeah, I just really liked it. Plus just cool beats, you know, cool and I've always really liked simple music. Um you're asking earlier, I'd say like Dennis Cahill would be my favourite guitarist. What he plays is very, very simple. I've always I don't know why, but that's what my ear is drawn to musically is I just like I like simple music and a lot of hip hop is as simple as it gets. You'll have like one riff that plays through the whole song and they add layers on top of it or take them out. So yeah. That's interesting. I mean and have you never thought about doing any writing yourself? Um yes. I had uh, the only writing I've done professionally was a thing that Nula got us uh, us being her band involved in which was a project called the industries of scotland um where everyone in the band had to pick an industry and write some music um around it so i picked fishing and i went out on a chap up in Ullapool. i went out on his fishing boat with a zoom recorder and recorded lots of sounds of the boat during the day and then took it to some other guys have done some work with um tiger style Bangra producers, who in fact actually, I've got you to thank for me meeting them. That's right, still. The still, yeah. Thanks, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I took it to them in their studio and made some beats with the sort of sounds that I'd, um, sounds that I'd recorded on the fishing boat, messed around and made like beats with them, and then wrote two melodies to go on top of that. So in answer to your question, yes, I've written. I've written two melodies. <laughs> that was that was that was you know um, that was five years ago. So maybe in the next five years, I might write another two. <laughs> what what words? It's obviously that runs in your family as well. Have you? you I bet you have a skill for that. Well, do you know it's interesting that you ask that because at the moment, you know, I was referencing my late twenties, early thirties being a spectacularly busy time um, with all the bands we've talked about. Played uh, with Vary Hall as well, the Vary Hall trio. We made that album. Um, so I had loads on. Um, but at this particular juncture, I've got pretty much almost nothing on. Um, I'm doing a lot of teaching, which I really enjoy. Um, but I'm missing the playing side of things. Um, so at the moment, on that laptop there, actually, I've got like quite a, quite a large amount of lyrics um, and bits and bobs of riffs and stuff that I'm trying to think about think about just doing my own little project you know um as to what that is though uh as to what that is i've got lots and lots of ideas but they're they're all from radically different places you know so yeah i've got a lot of lyrics um some of them are kind of like rappy kind of things you know uh and wee riffs and stuff so yeah that's something 
What's that? Do you want a debut one? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, nothing fit for public consumption as yet. <laughs> I mean, in the 2014 referendum, you were very active politically. Absolutely, yeah. I still, um, oh, I still can't believe that we, uh, that we blew our chance for that, you know. Um, especially with, especially with the way things are going at the moment, you know. Um, the propaganda at the time was, oh, you can't vote for Scottish independence because you'll leave the European Union. And hey, presto, here we are, five years on, about to be dragged out of the European Union. Yeah, it's uh, mad depressing. <laughs> Isn't it? Oh my God. <laughs> Cue silence. Cue silence. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So since so it is, it's an interesting time for you, really. Actually, it's just, I mean, I've noticed from I'm a little older than you, actually, in a, yeah. in a, a musician's career, or not a, not just a musician, a creative career is one of waves, and I've had plenty yeah. of opportunity, plenty of times in my life where I've never practiced. Yeah. And, I, and actually, I don't even pick up my concertina because I worry about it. I'm worried. And actually, half the energy goes to just actually get myself started again. Right. Okay. You worry that you're rusty and... Yeah, and you're not. Yeah. Because we've worked so hard... Yeah. ...in our previous practising times that actually yeah. it's never going to leave us. Yeah. It's more the, the self-doubt. Yes. Which, you know, I think anyone that... Anyone that makes any kind of career in any in any kind of professional performing arts that has to have that element of self doubt or they wouldn't they wouldn't drive themselves to the point where they could do it yes. professionally I've often. I know but it's also trying to think about how as we get older, how do we continue in yeah. this fear of the teaching is a big part of that. Yeah. And I've always And also you have to say you are a great teacher. Oh thank you. Um, thanks, Simon. Yeah, I've always, I've always enjoyed it. I've never looked on, I've never looked on teaching as something, something that I would do if I didn't have any gigs because I had to. If you know what I mean, it's never, never been like that for me. I've always been quite, quite passionate about it, and it's great now. Like I mean, you know, thirty seven. I see like there's loads of my ex pupils are absolutely killing it, and I like uh, Dennis White. Pablo Lafuente, chaps like that, where to see, uh, yeah, to see that you've maybe helped ignite a spark in someone that's going on to do it. It's a very tremendously rewarding, rewarding thing. But not just not just the kids that play professionally, you know. Even yeah, just seeing young people blossom in other ways through playing music's very, very rewarding. Thanks very much, Mike. That was a great chat. Now, for all the listeners out there, if you'd like to support my Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Simon Tumier. It gives me a little bit of cash every month to make my various vlogs and podcasts, and I really appreciate it. Uh, Mike and I are going to play a tune now. It's a march by James Scott Skinner, and it's called St. Mungo's Welcome to Scott Skinner.